What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another edition of After Hours with Defoe and Luby. I'm Jeff DeForest, along with one Mike Luby Lubitz, and it's a pleasure to have you guys with us here on the Believe Podcast Network. We have the national championship still to be decided in college football. The semifinal games will bring together uh, the top four as uh, chosen by the committee who, uh, I don't know, are the people, Luby, identifiable on the committee? Do we know who's yes, on the committee? there is a committee. Condoleezza still in, uh, voting on the committee? Who's voting? Jose Suleiman from the World Boxing <laughs> Council? Don King has a vote, I, I believe. I, I'm not sure how that's comprised. But well, what's great about all this, uh, too, and, and it's coming up on New Year's Eve, you're going to have the semifinal games. Uh, one involves Alabama and Cincinnati, which was the outsider team that everybody thought was going to get hosed somehow by the committee on the uh, final judgment day, but th- there was no way to screw them, uh, which is really great. So they were kind of snookered on that. Otherwise, Notre Dame would be playing in the semifinals. That, that's for sure. And, of course, uh, at the Orange Bowl, we have Michigan, and uh, we also uh, have Georgia trying to redeem itself after that bludgeoning inexplicably at the hands of uh, Satan himself, Nick Saban, and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Now, back in the day, uh, people always, uh, you know, they, they had negative assertions about uh, voting for the national championship. We experienced that a lot, Louis with the University of Miami in their heyday because you had to wait for the vote to come out. Are they going to get it? Is it going to be split with Washington? Oh, my God, we we got jobbed. What's going on here? And uh, this was supposed to clear all this up when the committee came in and the national championship playoff system came into uh, foundation and and through fruition. Um, You know, it was supposed to be, uh, okay, don't worry about the voting and all that, but that's all we've had to worry about. And that's why it's a pleasure to welcome to the show the commissioner of the AAC, and this is a very distinguished gentleman when it comes to sports broadcasting and uh, sports uh, in general, uh, has done a lot of pioneering in the area of sports business. Michael Oresco joins us here, the commissioner of the AAC. Michael, how are you? Thanks so much for joining us here on After Hours with Tifo and Luby. Well, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, um, can you hear me, by the way? Is, is it coming yeah, through loud enough? Yeah, you sound great, so just stay there. Yeah. <laughs> I think Louis I, I, think I got it. You sound no. like the usual verbal ransom note that amazing. we get sometimes with cell phones and uh, things of that nature, I, but you sound fine, no, I, I, so good to have you on the show. 
Thank you. I think I got it uh, fixed. Uh, I think the case was impeding the, one of the microphones on go. my cell phone. That's why you're the commissioner. Think- Good job, sir. Yeah. <laughs> There's no PR guy well, to help you? Yeah, I mean, I you're on your that. own? Well, what's going on here? It's almost like Cincinnati's quest to get into the Final Four. I mean, uh, pretty much uh, a lone wolf out there, the lone survivor. Well, they had me comp- you know, uh, definitely campaigning for him, but you're right. It's, uh, uh, it can be lonely sometimes, but uh, no. Uh, Sometimes, sometimes you're just on your own. But uh, great to be with you, fellas. Thanks, appreciate it. You know exactly what to do, also, uh, Commissioner, because um, you figured, right? I mean, the common wisdom was uh, Oklahoma State wins, Cincinnati gets screwed. Uh, you've been down this road before with uh, teams that were of great accomplishment, but uh, into question came the big dark cloud was wild strength of schedule. So it wouldn't have mattered if they were twenty five and zero. They weren't getting into the playoffs as long as Notre Dame only sustained three losses during the course of the year. Uh, <laughs> Uh, tell us about, about uh, you know, uh, some of the uh, agonizing defeats you've suffered in this regard here with, uh, like, UCF and, and Boise State, Houston, all these teams who were in contention. It looked like it was going to happen to Cincinnati again. In fact, the odds were, were more favorable that they wouldn't get in than they would make it in, until that final loss by Oklahoma State. Well, there's no question that that was, uh, you know, that, that was going to be a controversy, and, and I don't know how it would have turned out. Um you know, we had um, you know we've had some really good teams uh, going back to uh, the UCF team in 2013 when the league first uh, got reinvented and started uh, basically from scratch, uh, and that was the last year of the BCS. So that that was an automatic, uh, you know, uh, Fiesta Bowl bid for uh, for UCF. And you know, remember they destroyed Baylor in that game. Baylor yes. was was destroying everyone in the Big 12. I think that might have told people something uh, that we had some pretty good teams in our league. Uh, they had beaten Louisville that year, weren't expected to be in uh, New Year's Day. Louisville was a the favorite. They were spending the last year in our league. <clears throat> and so consequently, that got us off to a pretty good start. And we had some good teams since then. Houston, uh, that one-loss Houston team, and I think if, if the, the climate were the same as now, that Houston team probably would have been undefeated. They didn't play Greg Ward against UConn that year because they wanted to save him for the, uh, the big game with Navy, which was going to decide the division title, and they ultimately won that game. And they beat Temple in the championship game and then beat Florida State by a couple of touchdowns. That was Jimbo Fisher coaching Florida State. Uh, and so they, they showed how good they were. They were loaded with, with great players. In fact, I, I point out to people that 27 players who played in our first uh, championship game or inaugural between Temple and Houston played in the NFL at one time or another. Uh, that tells you all you need to know about the, you know, the quality of, of – uh, you know, competition in our league. And then, of course, you, you alluded to the to the UCF situation, going undefeated twice, beating Auburn, uh, the team that beat both uh, Alabama and Georgia that year, you know, in the Peach Bowl. And Gus Malzahn said, we, we played hard in that game. We There's no way we, we, we slackened off. We wanted to win that game. They could have, you know, that UCF team could have played with anyone. Uh, 2018, I, I don't know that they'd have made it, even if Mackenzie Milton had stayed healthy. That final game, he had the hor- horrific injury. That that really took him out of contention. But as you know, they had climbed maybe to six that year, but they weren't going to probably break that ceiling. And then, of course, Cincinnati last year really got my ire because, uh, you know, they started putting teams like Iowa State ahead of them with two losses, one including one, a, a three-touchdown loss to Louisiana at home. Can you imagine one of our teams even surviving in the top 25 if that happened to us? Uh, no, you can't. And, and then Florida, with three losses, was put ahead of Cincinnati. It was it was embarrassing, I thought, to be honest with you, last year. Um, and Cincinnati uh, did everything they could do. And then they played Georgia, 
in the Peach Bowl. And we all, anybody who watched the game knows that Cincinnati kind of gave it away at the end, right? They, they, they could have won it, should have won it. Uh, but outplayed them the whole game and, and played them without five of their best players. You know, James Wiggins, who's in the NFL, the safety. Ahmad Gardner, who is one of the All-Americans this year, didn't play last year. He had back spasms. Now, I'm just praying that all their players are healthy this year. They are right now. We hope that there are no you know, COVID issues. We hope there's nothing keeping them out because I think you know, they'll give a good account of themselves. But last year, you know, they played without their center, their starting running back. Their, uh, their left tackle got thrown out in the first half from targeting. And they still uh, should have won the game. Uh, and, and Georgia by then with uh, JT Daniels playing quarterback was one of the best teams in the country. Uh, this year, uh, again, a lot of things had to break right. And that's why, uh, fellas, I, th- I think you need uh, an expanded playoff more than ever. Uh, you have three conferences left out this year, the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big 12. And while I'm extremely happy, I'm elated that Cincinnati's in the playoff, it's not good for college football to have you know, all these conferences left out of a playoff. Uh, it, it just isn't really good for the sport. And, you know, that's that's the reality going forward, especially when you have good teams in our leagues. And it's not just our, our you know, so-called G5 league. You know, I hate that term. But also you have, um, you know, uh, Notre Dame always, you know, sitting there and Notre Dame was ready to claim a spot this year. So, uh, again, I, I do think Cincinnati, they did everything they were asked to do. It's all credit to them. They did it. They went undefeated. One team, think about this, out of the 130 FBS teams, and you can check my facts here, they're the only ones who finished undefeated. I mean, that just shows how hard it is to do. And our league is a good league, and they had to play Notre Dame on the road, broke their 26-game home winning streak. I mean, think about that. Beat Indiana on the road when Indiana was probably a better team than they ended up being during the season, a team that lost by five points to Michigan State, I might add. Uh, And so consequently, they did everything they were asked to do. But everything had to break right. Had, had there been a one-loss team in one of those other three conferences? Well, I guess maybe there was in the ACC. I don't know. Did, did Wake Forest end up with only one loss? Or Pitt? Pitt no, I think Pitt ended up with two losses. Yeah, yeah. Both, I, I, think. I think both had two in the end, yeah. Yeah, in the end, they both had two because Pitt won the uh, the game. Now, had there been a one-loss team in the ACC, I'm not sure that that team would have jumped Cincinnati. But the point is, if, if Oregon had continued winning, right, or if Oklahoma State had won that final game, who knows what would have happened? We're never going to know, obviously. But it was dicey because Cincinnati was behind Oregon at one point. I was angry about that because I thought uh, losing to Stanford, a team that basically won only a couple of other games, and, and not playing particularly inspired football most of the way, yet they were ahead of Cincinnati. And and they probably, had they kept winning, they would have stayed ahead of Cincinnati, and Cincinnati would have been 13-0, and 9-0 and last year, and would have been locked out again. Uh, so it's, it's really tough for a team from, from one of our leagues to make it. We've seen that, but, uh, this year things broke, right. It's almost, you know, it's a small miracle as I, I put it, you know, I'm thrilled that, that it happened. I, you know, I think they'll play well in the, in the, uh, in the game against Alabama. And I, you know, I'm, I'm obviously we're, we're hoping that they win it. We're talking with Michael Oresco here, commissioner of the AAC American athletic conference was a commissioner of the big East before the AAC was formed. Uh, Cincinnati, the first AAC combatant to make it to the playoffs. Uh, this is After Hours with Defoe and Luby here on the Believe Podcast Network. All right, Michael, so it seems like you're very, very involved, and in, we appreciate that because we've been actually involved. I was all on that UCA, UCF bandwagon, and I am a Florida State fan that watched that Houston team demolish us and looked every bit as good as any Power 5 team that year. So you got in. You're in. What does this mean going forward, though? Because as you've seen, it, you had to fight tooth and nail and needed everyone to lose to get in. Does this give more credibility 
to the AC, to the group of five as we've dubbed it. What do you think this means going forward for the schools that quote unquote aren't power five? Well, you know, you've broken the ceiling. You know, some people call it a glass ceiling. I called it the grass ceiling. You know, I'm trying to take a pun there. <laughs> anyway, uh, point is, uh, it, it gives hope and encouragement that, that another team can, can do it, and the other and another team would get that kind of consideration. A lot, I'm sure, will depend on how they play against Alabama. You know, that's just the reality of the situation. You know, they played Georgia last year very tough, and maybe that helped them this year in terms of the credibility, you know, with the committee. You know, the committee's not supposed to look at, you know, prior years, but clearly our league had to build up a certain level of credibility over all those years, which it did, which it obviously did. And and that doesn't include all the, the P5 wins we've had, the so-called P5 wins we've had probably got to be close to 60 or more now in, in, in our, you know, our relatively brief history. And uh, we've just played really well and we've won a lot of big bowl games. We would be four, if we'd won that game last year, we would have been four and two in the big bowl games, you know, and, and that was a, a great opportunity to be able to at least be the, the G5 team in those games. What does it mean going forward? Well, I mean, I hope what it means is that uh, this year will, you know, even more than ever show that we need to expand the playoff. Yeah. Uh, with, with so many conferences left out, with Cincinnati possibly having been left out if things hadn't broke right, a team that's clearly worthy to be in it, however they do. And and ultimately, uh, I think the 12-team playoff, the 6-6, is the right way to go because it, it, it uh, emphasizes conference championships. It also makes it clear that a so-called G5 t- uh, team has to get in if it's the top six, right? And, and also, uh, it basically gives, you know, a lot of uh, at-large spots that, Frankly, you know, some of the top teams could claim, and therefore you could say that it's, it's similar to other tournaments. It's similar to the NCAA tournament where you have all the at-larges along with the uh, automatics. What's the ideal number down the road? Who knows? I, I don't know that can ever grow more than maybe maybe 16, and I'm not advocating for 16 at this point. But right now I think 12 is the right number. I just do think it is. Uh, I don't think eight's got a lot of traction. But this is what it means. I think this – this year probably shows more than ever that we need to expand the playoff. Now, if the playoff doesn't expand, at least during the current term, what's it mean for the G5? Well, it means that obviously those teams will get a better look. Uh, I don't know whether, again, things would all have to break right again. I don't know whether if you had a couple of undefeated teams in, you know, in the uh, Big 12 or the Pac-12 or, or one-loss teams, whether they wouldn't, you know, wouldn't preempt an undefeated uh, G5 team. I would hope they wouldn't, but, you know, you never know. And, and, you know, we, we've seen some other good teams from, from the so-called G5. I hate that term, by the way, uh, fellas. I hope, it, I hope it goes away. You know, I hope it goes away because it, it creates what I call a caste system in college football. And there are a lot of people that think we somehow don't play at the same level, you know, that our schedule is automatically. We've had, we've had many years now uh, where we've had a top 10 team and we've had uh, multiple years where we've had four and even five top 25 teams during the course of the season. And uh, and we've we've shown that you know we can we can play uh, you know with those other conferences and yet there's this perception that somehow you saw it this year strength of schedule strength of schedule well you know uh, I was talking to one of the commentators who said you know a team like Cincinnati might have more trouble with a Tulane because of the way they play than they might with a Michigan or they might with a Georgia you know and uh, you you just every team is different Tulane goes out and almost beats Oklahoma right mm-hmm. Tulsa goes to uh, Ohio State. It's a seven-point game with three minutes left. They also uh, took Oklahoma State to the end. They were leading in the fourth quarter. So let's talk about game control. Remember that old uh, term? Uh, You know, they led the whole game. They led in the fourth quarter. 
they uh, they ended up losing the game 28-23 as a heartbreaker. But, you know, uh, that wasn't the case. When Tulsa played Cincinnati, it ended up being a close game. But Cincinnati led 28-12, uh, you know, and, and things some weird things happened at the end. But Cincinnati also had an incredible goal line stand, eight plays inside the five-yard line. Now, not many teams can do that against a team like Tulsa, which has a good running game. Uh, so in any event, uh, we, we've had to show that we've had teams that are, are worthy in our league. And that's one of the issues that, uh, you know, the so-called G5 leagues are going to have. One good thing about the expanded playoff potentially is it's all FBS at that point. If it's just the top six conferences without favor, you're not giving a five plus one. You're not giving automatics to conferences that may not deserve if you haven't even played it down yet. If you do that, uh, you, if you do six, six, you, you can basically say it's all 10 FBS conferences. Some are more equal than others. Some are better than others. But let's base it on how they do each year, not on the fact that, well, one's a G5. Therefore, you know, a team from our league or, or a Boise or, a, you know, a Coastal last year just can't compete. You know, that's just not a fair assessment. And you saw in the old days, uh, Boise had, uh, in the BCS days, had a good claim at some years. And uh, they obviously uh, weren't able to get in. So it's it's uh, something that I think is uh, it's got to you know got to be corrected. I think it will at some point. I just don't know when. So, with the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, uh, Michael Oresco, also was a pioneer in uh, TV with ESPN and uh, helped them peel themselves off the mat there and uh, go from uh, televising women's field hockey and a lot of sports center with Tom Mees to being the uh, monstrosity that it is today in terms of uh, most powerful influence in sports media. Uh, it's interesting. I'm at a bar at a racetrack, believe it or not, on that Saturday when a lot of these things were being decided. And uh, I ended up betting a hot dog and a beer that somehow Cincinnati was going to get screwed because I, I was thinking, who's on the committee? Uh, you know, you had Condoleezza Rice, a Snoop Dogg had a vote. I think uh, Arsenio Hall might have had something to do with it. So um, uh, the question would be, Michael, uh, how, how sure were you that uh, things were going to get you know called the right way when, uh, you know, it, it, as you, you went into uh, whatever the unveiling show was that they had on uh, ESPN, uh, d- did you think there was any possibility of getting hosed right up until the last minute? Well, you know, it's, I did uh, think that there was always a possibility, but I, I, I really I really felt pretty confident once, um, you know, Oklahoma State lost because the next team in line was likely to be Notre Dame. And, and you, you just couldn't put Notre Dame ahead of Cincinnati after Cincinnati beat them at home up there decisively too, by two scores yes. could have been worse. It, it, the score didn't even reflect the dominance of the game, uh, 17, nothing at the half. And, and so I, I just felt this was probably the year because of all the other things that had happened. But uh, yeah, during, during the course of the year though, it wasn't, couldn't be necessarily confident. And, you know, I try, you know, look, I, I, I've talked to the, you know, our reps on the committee and I, you know, and Bill, Bill Hancock, and I've said, I never attacked the committee personally, never have, never said they were biased or anything. I never used that kind of loaded term ever. What I said was, I just wanted them to use the same standards for us. You know, I didn't want to see a double standard where a team like Iowa State last year could lose to Louisiana the way they did at home. And, and still end up uh, with two losses ahead of a Cincinnati, which didn't have a loss like that and had, uh, you know, had, had won games against good teams. I just wanted to, to, to see, uh, you know, uh, a fair standard applied. And I, I tried to cite facts I, over the last several years with UCF as well. UCF, uh, you know, when, when Mackenzie Milton was healthy in 2018, they beat Pitt forty-five to fourteen. It was really forty-five-seven. Pitt scored a late, you know, late touchdown. Didn't mean anything. 
and uh, and Notre Dame beat Pitt nineteen to fourteen, right? And and yet everybody was talking up Notre Dame, and and Mackenzie Milton said we're better, and and I think the, the comparable scores are something you, you pay attention to. So all I was asking the committee to do year after year, and I thought I needed to be vocal about it because who else was going to be? You know, no one was going to talk about our league, and no one was going to support our league unless you know the commissioner got out front of it. And I don't know whether it helped or not, but the point is, I just felt that ultimately, you know, these things uh, are going to be close calls. Uh, respect the committee, uh, you know, but I, I clearly thought that, you know, the P5 get the benefit of the doubt. I mean, they clearly do. And, and I understand where that comes from. Uh, and it's hard to shake perceptions. You know, you have the college football blue bloods, right? And they tend to get, you know, favored treatment and, and because they're just assumed to be better. They just, well, we've got all these five stars, four stars, but often that's not the case, you know? And so you have to look at comparable scores. You have to look at in the last year, people, I'm sure Cincinnati was a big underdog in the Peach Bowl to Georgia. Uh, I know UCF was a huge underdog to Auburn in the uh, Peach Bowl. I know that in the very first one, Fiesta Bowl, UCF was the biggest underdog of the BCS era. I think they were 20 point underdogs. And, and they, they didn't just beat Baylor. I mean, they scored 52 points. You know, they destroyed them. And, and they showed that with their receivers, Baylor couldn't deal with them. They couldn't deal with Blake Bortles. They couldn't deal with that team. And and yet that team didn't get much respect all year. I don't even know where it was ranked, to be honest with you. So, yeah, there's always that, that doubt. Uh, thrilled that it, it came together this year. You know, let's face it, it's, it's a great thing for, for Cincinnati. And, and the credit goes to them. It's great for the Bearcats, but also to our league because the league, contributed a lot of great games and a lot of great teams over the years. And Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF uh, played on New Year's Day, but uh, Temple and, uh, you know, and uh, other teams in our league, SMU, uh, certainly USF one year when they almost beat UCF in one of the best college football games anyone's ever watched back in 2017, that Thanksgiving weekend game. You know, they've, they've all been good teams and they've all had a chance, you know, to win our league. Uh, remember, Cincinnati five years ago was four and eight. Luke's done an unbelievable job the last four years. You know, two eleven win seasons, beat, beating P five teams in the bowl games, almost beating Georgia last year, going undefeated during the regular season. Another undefeated regular season. This wasn't a, a you know, this is not a flash in the pan. It didn't happen overnight, and and that's been true of our league. So you just got to keep fighting, and and it's going to be a change. You know, as you know. You know, the elephant in the room is that Cincinnati will be leaving. doesn't matter I, it, to me. I'm, I'm just thrilled they're in. I, I couldn't be more supportive of them. Luke Pickle's one of the great people you'll ever meet. Uh, and, and so I'm really thrilled for him. But we're going to have to retool. And, you know, UAB had a nice win over uh, BYU the other day in the bowl game. And, and UAB's coming into our league. UTSA has shown what they can do. Uh, FAU's had some good years. And, and I think Billy Taggart will build something there. Uh, Rice is investing, as is North Texas. North Texas has some of the best facilities I've seen. Uh, and Charlotte, you know, is, is more of a you know, work in progress, but we think there's great potential there. So the league's going to change, but I still hope that, uh, you know, these kinds of teams, uh, as, and UAB, you know, is going to be another. People think they can be another uh, UCF. Uh, I hope they get the opportunity down the road. I hope an expanded playoff actually does happen. Michael Lorenzo is the commissioner of the AAC with us here on After Hours with Defoe and Luby. Jeff DeForest, Mike Luby. Lubitz on the Believe Podcast Network. All right, we have a, a theory where you tend to be degenerate gamblers here uh, on the program and the other things that we do, Mike. And uh, 
So, you know, uh, our theory was going into the Georgia game with Alabama, don't bet against the devil. You can't bet against Nick Saban. And we had reason to consider him Satan himself because during his coaching tenure here with the Miami Dolphins, uh, it's amazing uh, some of the things that went on uh, that led you to believe that, uh, wow, I, I didn't even know if this guy had a soul. But what we do know is he has a mind for football. Uh, what are the chances, in your opinion? I, I know you said uh, you figure it's going to be competitive. Uh, the odds makers uh, put this at almost two touchdowns, Alabama. Alabama looked like it was highly vulnerable this year uh, until they got against Georgia, where they annihilate a team that was dominating everybody else uh, from the time they uh, narrowly escaped that early Clemson game on. Um, what do you think? How competitive can the Cotton Bowl be this year? Well, Depot, I first of all, your description of yourself, I don't think is accurate. But the point is, uh, no, it's you know, nevertheless, <laughs> yes, my, I know him a long time. It's accurate. Yeah. Don't bet against uh, you know, the devil. You have have mean, it turned out to be true. I had a guy like uh, Smokes, uh, Georgia, when everybody thought they were going down in flames. Yeah, no, they're they're a good team, and uh, you know, you have to have a little humor here. Uh, they, uh, you know, they're loaded with five star players, and you know the. The, the receiver who caught the pass that ultimately tied the game against Auburn. That's a game Auburn really should have won. Um, but that catch was remarkable. And that, that's a true freshman, right? And you see the, the level of talent they have all over the place. And I think it's a tough challenge for Cincinnati, even more so than those other two teams, Michigan and uh, Georgia, because they don't have mobile quarterbacks. Cincinnati puts a lot of pressure on you. And, uh, you know, MyJ Sanders is, is just absolutely terrific off the edge. They've got others. You know, their linebackers are active. They've got safeties who, who you know, can do things. But the point is, uh, you've got a dual-threat quarterback, you know, in Bryce Young. And, and again, I'm not going to get into a, a major analysis of the game, but I do think this. Uh, this will be a tough test. Alabama's a really good team. They've been they, they've seemingly been vulnerable at times, but in, in, in games where they have to step up, you know, they have. Uh, and and in, in this particular case, though, you're playing a tough veteran Cincinnati team What's going to be interesting to me is Cincinnati secondary. All five of them may well be in the NFL. And the two cornerbacks are all Americans. There might not be a better cornerback tandem in the country. In addition to, uh, you know, Arquan Bush and others on that secondary, they play that nickel five, five man uh, secondary. You know, Beavers and, and, uh, you know, Joel DeBlanco are terrific linebackers. Ty Van Fossen's also a good one. And you've got a veteran off the defensive line. And, but there's a toughness instilled in this team. There's a lot of speed on this team, too, and, and you need that kind of speed to play with Alabama. On the offensive side of the ball, a lot of it will be how, how the Cincinnati offensive line does and how they hold up because Desmond Ritter is a you know, legitimate dual-threat quarterback. If he has a good game, it'll mean a lot. You know, um, you know he's, he's got to be accurate you know, most of the game. Uh, he's, he's a tremendous quarterback, and he's a veteran. He, he's, he's got far more experience than the Alabama quarterback, although the Alabama quarterback matured quickly. And, uh, and one obviously won the Heisman. Uh, but also, you know, Alec Pierce is an NFL wide receiver. They've got two player tight ends that are going to be in the NFL. They've got, you know, uh, some other receivers who are very active and very good. Uh, and they've got uh, Jerome Ford, who's a, who's a tremendous running back. Jerome Ford, uh, you saw he outran the entire Georgia team last year. You saw what he did this year uh, in, in the Houston game. He'll be a big factor in this game, and running on Alabama isn't easy. But uh, I expect, you know, they've got excellent special teams. One area they've, they've really struggled in is field goal kicking. You know, you, you know, you wonder if it comes down to a field goal kick at the end, but, you know, you never know. Uh, that's one of the areas where they struggle. The rest of their special teams are terrific. So it, I think it'll be a really, really good game. You know, you never know who's going to win these kinds of games. But I think that our league has never 
faltered in this kind of situation over the years. If you go back again, right over the entire decade when we've been in these big games, you know, this, this won't be uh, too big a stage for, uh, for Cincinnati. They went to Notre Dame and, and played there and, and broke a 26 game home winning streak. I mean, how big a stage is that? They played Georgia in the Peach Bowl last year. They, they're not daunted. They came back for this reason. You know, if you talk to the Cincinnati people, uh, they'll tell you that probably four or five, maybe even six of their top players might have just gone to the pros and if they had beaten Georgia. But it just left a bad taste in their mouths. They wanted to finish the job. They came back with a mission. They didn't want to just, uh, you know, win games. They wanted to be in the playoff if at all possible. And, you know, the, the dream, if you want to call it that, came true. But they're not going to sit on laurels. This, this is a team that wants to win. I mean, they came back with a mission. They're not going to just be happy to be in that game. So I would expect a rugged physical game uh, could be very interesting. Right, Certainly last, looking forward to it. Last couple of things here with AAC Commissioner Michael Oresco, CBS Sports, ESPN, the Big East. Now the AAC. Uh, the big topics of the college football season were the playoffs, which you touched on. Realignment, which you did sort of touch on as the Big 12 is going to lose Oklahoma and Texas. So now UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU will be joining the Big 12. Uh, you guys have been very aggressive to fill up your conference and uh, should be a 14 team conference. The other big topic this season was NIL. Okay. And it's now there and we've now seen it used in various ways. And Deion Sanders as whatever he wants to say over there at JSU. Some interesting things are happening there with the NIL. I'm curious as a commissioner of a league that I'm sure will be very highly involved with it. What are your thoughts on NIL and the future of it and how it will be sort of legislated because it's sort of really not in the realm of the NCAA. So what is the future for NIL and how will it affect you think college athletics? Well, I'd say it's a great question, Mike. It's going to be one of the seminal questions going forward. Uh, a lot of things have changed college football the last couple of years, the, the transfer portal and now the, uh, the year in resident residency being eliminated. That's a huge issue. Guys, it's, you basically have 85 free agents on your team every year. I mean, that's not even similar to the pros. You've seen the coaching situation with all these huge contracts and coaches you never thought would leave certain programs leaving, uh, which you have to pay assistance to uh, to get them to get good assistance. All these things have changed. NILs might be the biggest. NIL might be the biggest. I'm very concerned about it. Uh, I always was because I don't. I, I've never felt that was the spirit of, of college athletics. I know there's a lot of money washing around. I get all that, but the point is. That money is plowed back for the most part into facilities, into scholarships. So you sure you had to pay coaches a lot of money, but you know to get anybody at, at a professional level who's good, you have to pay them a lot. Point is, what NAL is not supposed to do is being a, a recruiting tool, right, or a retention tool, yep. uh, and and that's essentially what it looks like it's becoming. And uh, you know who knows how it's going to play out. I don't know. I mean, fans don't seem to care. They seem to just enjoy the games. Mm -hmm. But when you see you know, players making a million dollars who we don't know how any of that's going to play out. We don't know how locker room camaraderie is going to work down the road when you have guys making some certain amount of money and others not. You don't know. Um, you're, starting, you're starting to see now schools putting together these, you can call them charitable trusts. You can call them anything you want, basically to pay players, whether it's at Texas, whether it's not. I think US, USC, I read somewhere, is doing something. Uh, there's also the issue of scholarship limits. BYU said we're, we're going to basically give all the, the walk-ons essentially the equivalent of a scholarship money. Well, does that create basically 200 scholarship players instead of the 85 that you're supposed to have? Remember, that's what's made college football as competitive as it is past 10 or 15, 20, 30 years. You know, in the old days, a team like Nebraska, a team like Texas could, could accumulate 
two or 300 players, I guess, if they wanted to. I don't know what the reality was. But the point is, you didn't have the kind of scholarship limits that you have now. And we fought hard nine or 10 years ago when the NCAA, you know, did their, uh, their, their reimagining at that time. And you had the, the so-called autonomy group come into into being and you had uh, some other things change in the governance process. We kept the scholarship limits. That was critical. We also thought the year in residency was critical because it, it, it created stability. You know, if, if someone wanted to transfer, they really had to want to transfer. And, and, and they also couldn't just, you know, walk across the street because they had a bad practice or, you know, something, you know, happened. Now you could argue, well, the freedom the players have is a good thing. And to some degree it is. But I do think there'll probably have to be some kind of process put into place so that the coach isn't dealing with 85 free agents, you know, every year. I also think the NIL situation, we kind of missed the boat on that. I thought we probably should have gone after California when they first passed their law because every state now has different laws. It's it's a complete wild west. Let's be honest. You're out in the wild blue yonder. There's, the NCAA is not enforcing anything. Who knows what's going on? Who knows what's really happening? Uh, that's one of the problems we've got now. We're faced with it. You know, as you know, the NCA's made efforts in Congress, but I don't have a lot of confidence that anything's going to happen there. Uh, but if we don't get control of this, then it's, it's basically you can do whatever you want. And uh, you can couch it any way you want. You don't, you, if it's a retention or a, a recruiting tool, you don't call it that. But that's essentially what it is. And the school may not be paying the money, but you've got people who own businesses, who have other interests in the school, who can potentially pay a player. Nothing's stopping them from doing that under these current rules. So I see a lot of issues with it. Uh, you know, I, I think we, we missed the boat a few years ago. There were a lot of things student athletes could do to earn some money uh, without it getting to this point, And we didn't, we didn't loosen the restrictions. You know, I mean, that, that fellow from UCF who had his, his podcast or whatever he had, he had his uh, Facebook account and, he was making a few dollars by doing videos and uh, nothing wrong with that. And if you, if kids wanted to sign some autographs and, and make some money, but now you're into, uh, you know, you're into some pretty big money situations. Uh, you know, when Alabama said, well, our quarterback hasn't played a down yet, but he's got endorsement deals of a million dollars. Well, you know, I don't know where it's going. I, I again, I'm not a prophet. I can't predict. I don't know what's going to happen over the next few years, whether it's going to become really egregious. You're going to see egregious situations. I think the NCAA is more and more reluctant to get involved in, in this kind of enforcement. So, uh, you know, conferences and schools may be left to their own devices. Hard to say what's going to happen. Um, but uh, let's put it this way. It's, it's a situation that, uh, is troubling on certain levels. It's there's some positives to it, but I don't know whether the negatives are going to ultimately outweigh the positives. It's hard to say at this point. I think Joel Osteen started that charitable trust. Uh, <laughs> that was one of his uh, theories. Whatever the congregation to uh, join in and get closer to God. <laughs> well, we're rooting, uh, we're rooting for the Horatio yes. Alger story here, uh, Michael. Yes. Uh, no one hey, would Don be happier Satan. than to see Nick Saban go down <laughs> at the hands of Cincinnati and see Cincinnati go on and prove all of the uh, doubters wrong and have them win the national championship. So we wish you the best of luck. Good luck. Sir. Thanks so much for being so candid with us here uh, on After Hours with Tifo and Luby. It was a pleasure. And uh, we wanted to get into uh, some of your uh, history with ESPN, but we'll have to do it another time. Uh, uh, thanks so much for being with us here, and best of luck in the Cotton Bowl with Cincinnati and the conference. Well, Tifo, thank you. First of all, nice meeting you and Mike. I, I You know, again, I didn't uh... – you know, uh, being where I am, you know, really didn't have familiarity. And, and you guys are great. I really enjoyed it. You're obviously extremely knowledgeable, which I always love. You know, people that really know our, our business and I know our conference. Uh, I wish you and your uh, your listeners, uh, viewers, all, all a great holiday season and, and new year. 
and hope everyone stays safe. You know, we're all keeping our eye on that COVID situation. We hope that doesn't disrupt anything. Uh, and people, you know, stay healthy. But uh, thanks for having me, guys. And I'd be happy to do it again sometime. I really enjoyed it. And thanks for the good wishes about Cincinnati. Yeah, it'd be great if they can shock the world and yes. uh, and then move on and, and win a national championship. That'd be really something. Uh, but uh, we'll uh, we'll just enjoy it for now, and uh, and uh, we'll be in the Cotton Bowl on uh, on New Year's Eve. Thanks again, uh, fellas. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Happy right. Thank you so Happy much. Very distinguished gentleman there, uh, Michael Lorenzo. Did a lot of things in uh, sports, sports business, uh, in TV, in conference uh, growth and alignment and uh, realignment. And it uh, looks like he has a large task on his hands once again. All right, Luby, always a pleasure. Yes, sir. Uh, another fine day here on the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, thanks to Michael Oresco for being our special guest here, the commissioner of the AAC. The Cinderella story is on the horizon, and uh, maybe Michael Oresco uh, would have a, he would have a big hand in helping to orchestrate that there if Cincinnati can somehow. Oh, my God, that'd be huge. Well, uh, people are equating this uh, matchup with the clubbing of seals, my friend. The PETA people are even concerned that they're going to contest this game, Alabama, against Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl. That's coming up on uh, New Year's Eve day. All right. Uh, we're, we're coming back uh, with you tomorrow here on the Believe Podcast Network. Luby, you have a great day. Thanks well, so much sir. for uh, tuning in. And as we often say here at Believe Podcast Networks, you got to believe. Recently, we realized it's not just hurricane season that can hurt us. Any time of year, things can happen to your home or business. And the insurance company can be your friend, but they also can be your enemy. Horizon Public Adjusters, Justina Testa, are here for you to help this process go so much easier. Before you call the insurance company, call Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa at 954-809-8752. Would you go into court without an attorney? So why would you go up against an insurance company without Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa? Seven to ten times more money recovered with a public adjuster than if you went on your own. If there's no recovery, there's no fee, give them a call at 954-809-8752. Why go up against insurance companies alone when you can have Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa on your side? Hey folks, Tony Segreto here. What if I told you you could go to a great restaurant, feel completely safe because their COVID protocol is unmatched, have an amazing meal, have a great time. When the bill comes, you won't get sticker shock. You're going to say, that's too good to be true. No, it's not, because I'm talking about Texas Roadhouse. Great family atmosphere, great atmosphere for a couple, great atmosphere if you just want to go by yourself and watch a game and have the coldest beer in town. And while you're doing that, have the best bread in town. All at Texas Roadhouse. Everything you get there is fresh every day and made sure it's served at your table, hot and ready to go. And the best part is you don't get sticker shock because the prices are amazing. Texas Roadhouse. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.